0: The easiest way to secure and accelerate your website is with Encapsula, protecting over 4 million sites from individual bloggers to the Fortune 50. Visit Encapsula.com slash and use promo code at Datanauts to get a 30-day free trial.
1: Every starship's captain worth her salt starts at a lowly position of ensign doing menial tasks like crawling around the Jeffries' tubes or fetching hot cups of Earl Grey for senior officers and avoiding the dreaded red shirt of annihilation. But along the way, she'll often specialize in a skill or two, such as engineering or security, and up towards the bridge. But what about when she becomes captain? Does the lack of deep, day-to-day knowledge of some obscure engineering panel make her less valuable to the crew? How does one trade in specialized skill for more wisdom-carved experience to take command? howdy i'm chris wall you can follow me at chris wall on the twitters And with me is my co-host who only eats the worm at the bottom of a tequila bottle he's ethan banks at ec banks on the twitters this is the data Nuts podcast find this and all of our shows on itunes in your favorite podcatcher we're at packetpushers.net and i will say ethan is already playing pranks on me and altering my introduction read so i gotta say man I love you. I also hate you this morning. <laughs> I think we're going to have a great show. <laughs> we are going to have a great show because you landed us a great guest. I did. So let's just cut right to the chase and introduce the one, the only Tom Hollingsworth. Welcome to the show. Tell us about you. Hi. Thanks for having me
2: on, guys. <laughs> I'm Tom Hollingsworth. I am a former network engineer, but my day job, my as I like to refer to it, my Bruce Wayne job now is I'm an organizer for the Tech Field Day event series. I have no affinity for woodland creatures at all, despite what you may have heard on the internet. But if you would like to see more of my ramblings and snark, you can follow me on Twitter as at Networking Nerd.
1: I thought you were the Dread Pirate Roberts. Is that still not true? I'm I'm slowly working up. I'm First Officer Dread Pirate Roberts at this point. Okay, working your way up. And in the show, we kind of alluded to it, but it's really the idea of starting out as you know a super deep technical engineer where you know every single widget and knob and what to turn and what not to turn. And over time, I think that potentially loses some value to your career path or potentially is not what you want to do forever. So this show, we're really talking about that kind of transition. And I thought Tom would be a great guest because he is super nerdy. He's the networking nerd on Twitter. You can't get much more nerdy at networking and engineering than that. But you've definitely moved into a role that I think is a little bit different. And so I wanted to, I mean, first start off, what was your various roles as a network engineer? Why did you decide to go into a really technical type of role to begin with? Well,
2: I started out just doing basic desktop support for a VAR that worked with schools. And as you look around in one of those places, we, we like to call them haberdasheries because there are many hats that need to be worn. And people kept giving me hats going, well, hey, can you install the storage array? Or what do you know about servers? Or the the thing with the network cables doesn't work. Can you fix that? And so slowly but surely, I kind of worked my way up to the point where I was working on most of the advanced technology in the building. And so I spent a lot of my time working out nuts and bolts and things and trying to teach other people basically how to do parts of my job so that I could go on to do virtualization and other hot upcoming topics, what, 10 years ago?
1: I know you have a CCIE, the Cisco, what is it, Internet Weeking Expert Certification. It's the, the holy grail of Cisco certs. I know there's architect beyond that, but, but realistically, CCIE is the pinnacle of network knowledge from a Cisco perspective you know, when did you decide that's where I want to go? Because that feels like a very specific decision to be very specialized in networking with one vendor as, as the crux amongst it.
2: Yeah, it, it was one of those things you've always heard. How do you boil a frog? You raise the temperature degree at a time. Well, I was being boiled slowly. It was like, well, I'm, I keep picking up all this advanced networking knowledge. And and I realized that we're working more and more with Cisco. And some of the guys at the local Cisco office gave me access to a lab and said, hey, you know. If you like this, you should probably look at taking the CCIE before you're all said and done. And, well, I, I kind of did. I will admit that there's a lot in the test that's very Cisco specific, but there's also a good foundation of making routing protocols work with each other or understanding certain technologies like you know, BGP or MPLS that do come in handy down the road. But you look at that and you say to yourself, well, I can go all networking or I can kind of stay a generalist. And there are parts of both that are appealing. But at the same time, I feel like generalists in IT have a hard time being taken seriously about things because the more extreme people tend to look at them from the corners and go, well, you know, you may be okay at storage, but you don't know everything there is to know about storage.
0: We're fellow CCIEs. I'm I'm getting ready to let mine go because I just don't have time to keep up with the uh, the research process anymore. Did you really like… That kind of work, all the, the hardcore, nitty gritty command line configuration, where you know all these knobs to twist to make things happen, or, or did it get boring at some point? Because you really killed yourself to get that cert. You worked hard and took the exam a number of times before you finally got the digits.
2: Well, it was soothing in a way, and I people probably while listening to this podcast are going, "Wait, the CLI is soothing." This this boy's got problems. When you look at the job that you have to do as a network engineer especially when you work for a reseller, it's 50-50 dealing with technology and dealing with people. And I always think back to that line from Clerks with uh, Randall and Dante. It's like, you hate people, but I love gatherings. Ironic, isn't it? As an introvert in technology, I have to put on a face to talk to people. And so when I can sit down and just hammer away in a CLI and read debugs and type in esoteric command switches that are 14 question marks buried into a uh, some kind of CLI, I kind of feel comfortable. I feel relaxed. It's like, okay, this is never going to lie to me. This is never going to yell at me. I can, I can work with this because it's not going to get an attitude.
0: But at some point though, there was a moment where you said, okay, I'm going to pivot away and not be a CLI jockey anymore and, and do other things.
2: Yeah, that's, that's actually something that comes up really there. And I've always heard this. There are two kinds of senior engineer folks there are the Scotties of the world who will live in the engineering room and never get outside of working on their technology. And then as you kind of alluded to in the introduction, there are the command track people that look at it and go, well, I understand the technology well enough now, but there are other ways I want to apply it. I want to, I want to learn how to build the systems instead of just making them operate. Or I want to teach other people how to build these systems. And when you hit that level, you say to yourself, okay, I'm destined for bigger and better things. And so I'm going to move up the ladder to take on a more of an architecture role.
1: Okay, so I get the point of that. You're kind of taking a step back and saying, I don't want to just be in one piece of the puzzle, which silos are definitely all about what the data knots are all about. I'm kind of wondering what that's like to say, from your perspective, I'm super deep. I know this one thing to perhaps less technical. I'm not going to say non-technical specifically, but as you approach more of a generalistic knowledge of the architecture, maybe becoming specifically around architecture itself and not the tactical, you know, specific engineering knowledge. What's that like? I imagine just there was a few things where as you're making this transition, it's there's some good, there's some bad. There's got to be some kind of takeaways as you make that move.
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, the, The hardest part about being in architecture is learning the standard IT answer of it depends um, yes. Because when you're, when you're an engineering person, there is one answer to this problem, maybe two in certain cases, but there's always an answer. It's this command, or you have to make this setting active. But when you get to architecture and people are like, "Um, well, I want to build a network that goes between here and Mars. How much latency can I expect? And the answer is, well, it depends. And as an engineering person, that drives you nuts because you want to give them the most specific answer that you can. And you kind of have to train yourself to kind of say, it depends, and then swallow your tongue shortly thereafter so you don't continue to ramble.
0: <laughs> so you've pivoted at this point. And so do you have a feeling of, of less value or maybe an identity shift? You, if you've lost that sense of value that comes with, I've mastered all this knowledge and here, this uh, certificate says I did. How do you combat that feeling of, I'm not what I once was because I'm doing something different now?
2: You're absolutely right. If you are a technical person who moves into a role with less technical capability, whether it be going from engineering to management or you know, engineering to a completely different job role, you, you have to worry about knowledge loss. And it's always on your mind. It's like, well, man, I've forgotten the command to create a BGP leak map. I know I could go look it up if I really needed to, but it's not something that lives in my frontal cortex daily. But instead... The way that I look at it is kind of referring more back to that architecture role. I get to see technology at its inception, and I get to see how technology use cases are deployed. I don't worry as much about the grunt work of making sure that the crossover cables are correct or making sure my port macros are identified. But if someone says, okay, well, how does this SD-WAN construct work? I can look at it and say, well, I know enough about networking to understand how those connections are built, and I can explain it to other people.
1: Yeah, that's a good thing. Let's unpack that a little bit. You talked about seeing technology sort of at its inception. I'm assuming that's partially because you're very heavily involved with Tech Field Day for, you know, like what, years now? I don't know. It feels like you've been there forever in a good way. You know, so how does that feel? Is does that, does that broaden your technical portfolio? And you can use that to kind of understand the end-to-end architecture, you know, seeing these startups and, and the way that they're thinking about technology differently? What's your impression there?
2: Oh, it it absolutely does that. I mean, I was a delegate at Tech Field Day before I uh, joined the company. I got to see so much technology that I wasn't even aware of that it existed at an early stage. Um, When I remember the first conversations about SDN kind of shaking my head, thinking, well, this isn't going to be a thing. And, you know, now five years later, we're talking about SD-WAN as a practical implementation of it. We're talking about more orchestration and automation, the kind of silo-busting stuff that makes people fear for their jobs. I look at it as a perspective of saying, this is a good thing because it's going to force retraining. It's going to force people to get outside their comfort zone and grow and adapt. But even in other technology areas, I, I always laugh. My boss, Stephen Foskett, is a storage person. He's a very well-known storage person. And through my association with Stephen, I've kind of been tagged as a storage analyst which I have never figured out how that happened. Just one day people said, oh, well, we're having the storage conference and you te- definitely need to come along. I'm like, I wouldn't know flash memory from a hole in the ground. Come on, man.
0: <laughs> How's quality of life been, Tom, since uh, you, you've taken on the new gig? Have things improved since leaving that customer partner engineer kind of role and, and transitioned into your new role with Tech Field Day? My wife is a lot happier because I'm I'm home The the, the, actually, wait a minute, that's ironic, though, because in my mind, you're on a plane all the time doing events. You're saying you're home now more than you were as an engineer. You trade it. And
2: and that's the interesting thing. Um, And I've heard this a lot from people who move into a role where they're more of an evangelist or they're more of a traveling person. And I'm sure that, you know, Chris can can say something about this. You go from getting into a project where you may be working until nine or 10 at night for a number of days in the future. And you don't know if that's going to be tomorrow or four days from now versus I know that say next week, I'm going to be on an airplane on Saturday and I'm going to come home on Tuesday. I'm gone those four days, but the days after that until my next trip, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to get an emergency call that I have to drop everything that I'm doing and rush halfway across the state to go press an F1 key for a failed power supply. It's it's the firefighter mentality. Firefighters have to be on call for forty eight hours at a time, and you never know when that bell's going to ring, and so you're kind of stressed out and antsy and just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Whereas now, with with the travel schedule that I've got, yeah, when I'm gone, I'm gone, but when I'm home, I'm home.
0: One of the things that stood out to me as Tom was talking to us is that you find value in in new ways and in new things like Tom related, being able to understand a complex technology and be able to explain that to other people is a really valuable skill to have. And that's important. Even if you don't know, every configuration stands off the top of your head that you might've needed to know for some esoteric cert back in the day. What stuck out to you, Chris?
1: A similar vein. I think it's that knowing that a particular technology or, or stack has the ability to perform a function or provide a solution can in in many cases have more value than knowing exactly how to implement the said solution or stack Uh, because that that holistic design across silos that that we're always kind of preaching about so obviously you need people that know how to implement you know the features things like that but you also need people that have that depth across the portfolio to build the holistic architecture for what you're looking to build
0: Data Notch Listeners, Ethan here. I'm sure you're aware that DDoS attacks are a normal part of life. You've probably been hit by one or you're going to be at some point in the future. And our sponsor, Encapsula, can protect you from those DDoS attacks. Distributed denial of service while also offering bot protection, website security, load balancing, a content distribution network, and it is all one easy-to-use service. And, and if you're missing what the point of this is, the big idea is to put Encapsula in front of your website so that your website is protected. Uh, your website will continue to deliver content even when bad things are happening. The thing here is that Encapsula is seeing all of your traffic anyway, so they're going to block that bad stuff, which is maybe the most important thing. But since they're seeing it all, they're going to accelerate that good stuff too. The bad stuff goes away, the good stuff gets even better. And if you think DDoS protection is no big deal, I personally think it's a really big deal. It's not hard these days for someone to build or even rent someone's command and control network and then unleash terror on your website, keeping your web down offline. Encapture protects you from this sort of an attack because they have their own massive network, three terabit per second network with 30 data centers housing their packet scrubbers. And I love this little detail. They codename their packet scrubbers Off. BAMOS scrubbers can handle 500 million packets per second, and all of that put together means that putting Encapsula in front of your website means that you can withstand a DDoS attack. So to add Encapsula's capabilities to your website, visit Encapsula.com/packetpushers and use promo code Datanots to get a 30-day free trial. One more time, that's Encapsula.com/packetpushers and use promo code datanots to get a 30 day free trial. So Tom, you're not actively day-to-day doing the engineering stuff, so how do you maintain a level of of sharpness in the various technical areas? And uh, and are there specific areas that you're really keen on and that are really interesting to you?
2: Yeah, I have to read a lot. Um e- even before when I was uh when I was doing networking, you know, you read blogs, you read articles, you read readmes and things like that. But when you're a highly focused technical person, the first thing you want to do is swivel your chair over to your lab console and start plugging away at things. I don't really have that luxury anymore, so I kind of have to conceptualize in my mind how this thing works. Okay, so if you're going to build IPsec VPN tunnels in a full mesh here, I think I understand how that works. Let me draw this out, you know, something like that. There are absolutely areas that are still exciting to me. Um, SD-WAN actually is is one of the areas that I keep coming back to. Everyone keeps telling me they have a new SD-WAN solution, and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I know how these 48 other ones work. Can you explain to me how yours is slightly different? And then they have to explain to me, well, you know, SD-WAN is this. I'm like, no, 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 no. I have that part down. I need to know how <laughs> you are incrementally different. <laughs> yeah, And. Uh-
1: that's what I was thinking about. If you you, know, you bring up the example, you know, 30 or 40 SD-WAN vendors, how deep do you go at an individual basis? Because it feels like really the hardest part of your job is prioritization of, of how deep to go. And so you just say, all right, high-level understanding of all these products is kind of the, the sweet spot. Or do you pick and choose specific areas where, like, oh, I'm going to go deeper into this because it has to do in some way?
2: Well, so that's that um... – that mentality of being able to skim through a section of some kind of learning material and go, this is not important to me. And then find that one section goes, ooh, this really appeals to me. Or I kind of understand what the author's saying here. I may skim through 10 people who are trying to sell me an analytics platform. I'm like, okay, I get it. It draws things. I got that. But then you flip over and you do something, say, like a, an ASIC vendor that's doing something really interesting with the chips. And you look at the presentation and, like, you get sucked into that black hole of thinking to yourself, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Please, please tell me more.
0: <laughs> Do you think there's value in uh, in vendor certs uh, at this point, Tom?
2: <laughs> the, the vendor cert chase is definitely a tough one when you don't work directly for someone that needs them. Um, and that's a conversation that I had when I started my job was, you know, Tech Field Day, we don't need vendor certs. One of the things that I did is I I have an agreement with my old company that I do maintain them. But I can tell you, and and Ethan can echo this as well, when you get that notification after a year and a half that it's time to start studying for the CCIE written exam again, you just kind of clench up all over. You're like, oh, I'm not going to my happy place now.
0: (laughs) Well, that's exactly what it's been for me is uh, I've I've just given up at this point. I have too many other things to do to be able to handle the – well, the reason you clench up because of the difficulty of that stupid test for the research just makes it very arduous to go through. And I have too many other things that I'm dealing with. I just, I I really don't have the time for that. You know, that said though, Tom, I have been looking at some other certs for down the road when hopefully my schedule frees up a little bit. Like uh, Amazon certs are interesting, not because I want to spend a lot of time doing Amazon uh, public cloud consulting, but... Because it looks like a heck of a way to learn you know, their product. They've got five little certs out there, and that seems like a, a useful way to go about getting a handle on some of the nitty-gritty. There is digging into those certs. Do you think there's any anything interesting there that uh, you, you might go after at some point?
2: Yeah, the container stuff is is exploding right now, and and I'm still I feel like I'm still a little behind the curve there. Like I kind of understand at a conceptual level what that does. But yeah, I'm I'm just waiting for a company like like say a Docker to come out with like you know the uh, the Docker certified container knot or, or something, and be able to jump into that because I'm one of those people that learns the best by reading material about things like that because you know you can read 48 pages of documentation on a function call and go um, no I I got none of that <laughs> but you know when someone's like this is what you need to know for a test I'm like okay now I understand it.
1: So Tom, I think this one comes up a lot for all of us on the show, and, and especially the folks listening. It's going back to the certifications. This isn't a cert-specific show, but okay, if certifications kind of define you as a technologist, especially out of the earlier years, and you're looking to change your role you know, into a less deep engineering-type role, okay, what certifications do you maintain and why? You've already expressed that you have some relationships with another vendor that or a, or a company that want you to maintain your networking certs but how would you choose it beyond that and plus how do you prepare if you're not spending every day touching the gear you know in this case i assume it's routers and switches and whatnot you know how do you prepare for that how do you find yourself finding materials it just feels like it's such a challenge when it's not your day-to-day bread and butter to stay current that i don't know it's like climbing a mountain with your bare hands you know it just feels really tough
2: Oh, it is. It is. And and you the the hard thing is, is that when you're doing it day to day, you have unwitting time that you dedicate to learning things. So, you know, I've I've worked with a lot of people who are like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to install, you know, OSPF uh, NSSA setups in this customer environment. Well, why? They're like three sites. Well, I really need to get a handle on NSSA. I'm like, that's not the way to do it, <laughs> bud. But I mean, but they'll do it. But when you're when you're not. Yeah, that's pretty standard. Day,
1: yeah, I know, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. it's like technologies at uh, startups. You know, like oh, I want to use these new things, open source projects. Why? Because I can, and then it'll look great <laughs> on my resume. You know? Yes, yeah. but yeah,
2: but when you when you don't do this for a living, the irony is is that you have time now when you're when you're not specifically working on a project or working on an event or something like that, where you could sit down and crack open a book. But yeah, it's it's like being in college. It's like hey, I got the night off. Um, there's a movie on TV, or I could be studying for my chem final. Ah, screw it. I'm not going to (laughs) study. I read a lot on airplanes. The the great irony of my life is that most of the planes I fly on now have Wi-Fi. And since it's unusable, I crack open a book. So, you know, maybe today I'm going to be learning about uh, 3D Crosspoint from Intel. Well, why? Well, it's an interesting technology and I want to learn more about it. But if you're doing it specifically for a certification, I mean, you have to have a plan in place. You have to know what you're going to do and you have to hold yourself to that plan. You know, it's like it's like when you uh when you get out on your own for the first time and you realize that cake is a perfectly acceptable breakfast and dinner food. Um, but that yes. only that only works after about the first three months when you look down and you're like, "Mmm, cake belly. Maybe I should probably have a little bit more self control and eat real food.
1: Yeah, yeah you'd think. <laughs> I like cakes. <laughs> Note to self. Start new company that's baked goods called Cake Belly. Okay, please continue.
0: <laughs> hey Tom. How about a lab? Do you have a lab these days that you use to study, learn, try things out? And, and if you do, describe it. Is it physical? Is it virtualized? Is it up in the cloud? Tell us all about it if you do have one.
2: I have a, a minor lab, and I say minor as in it just has a couple of devices in it, but it's really not it's not physical at all. Um, most of the computer equipment in my house, I never touch it, mostly because my family will shout at me if I do. It's all virtual now, and the irony there is that we've spent so much money, like, Thousands of dollars building these these huge racks of equipment. I can remember, you know, having to study and trying to get the the sales on the right amount of equipment. And can I run this iOS image on that router? And now I can just fire up an AWS instance on a plane for what you know two hours to study how uh, you know this interaction between these two protocols works, and then shut it down and then get a bill at the end of the month for what you know like ten bucks. I mean, it's consumption based. IT at its greatest is because I don't need my lab dimming the lights of my house when I'm not there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I've all but actually gone over to Amazon for some stuff because I, I have two servers that I just let run. I know they cost because I've done the I've monitored my electric bill to know it's roughly $25, 30 a month just to have them sitting there and running. And so for the convenience of having those two machines, I've not moved to Amazon because that's easier to, you know, to do that. Uh, and just uh, just have them sitting there on the rack running. But I, I've been thinking, man, I so rarely need to dive in deep. And I could just, you know, for some of the stuff that I want to check out, I could just throw up a VM on my, uh, on my iMac or my laptop and get the same thing done. You know, why am I dedicating equipment to it? I'm not crazy like Chris, who I think, if I'm right,
1: buddy, you have a kind of a crazy lab. Do you not? I mean, I, I take a little offense at crazy lab. It's, <laughs> it's very cost effective. And, and yeah, no, it's... It's, it's a whole baker's rack, like a kitchen-sized baker rack filled with, with gear. And yeah, it was kind of similar to Tom's thing. Like I was shopping around and building parts, and kind of the building is the fun part, to be honest. It's like, oh, I have a lab now. That's kind of sad. I kind of enjoyed building it. I need to build a new one. But yeah, I'm in the same boat. I don't really use it that much anymore, partly because I have so many work labs available that are all enterprise-grade, and we have people that manage them and love them and build them, and all I have to do is consume them kind of like Amazon. You, know, I just spin up something and throw it away. But, yeah, I feel like that's that era is kind of dying a little bit, unless you're really working on kind of layer one and layer two stuff. There, there's no strong, strong, compelling reason to really, you know, absolutely go with a physical lab because there's so many other virtual and cloud options available. Yeah.
2: And even, even in the networking space, I mean, we used to have to have some kind of hardware to simulate switching because of the, the ASICs that yes. go into it. And now when you look at things like the barefoot simulator for P4, it's like, hey, you can you can write ASIC code on top of a virtual construct and show
1: how it runs. You're like, that's unbelievable. Yeah, I remember buying the the the, the lab kits and they have like gold, silver, and I bought the silver CCIE lab study thing, and was just a big stack of really old switches and stuff, and you're supposed to put it in a certain way, and this emulates the lab. I'm like, this sucks. I think, I, you know, we bought it for work and no one really wanted to use it because, like, this this is terrible. I'd rather just go for the data center exam instead of the route and switch one. <laughs> and so that's what we did.
0: I have remnants of that sitting in uh, just outside my office. I've got uh, some old 3800 series routers and, and some old switches and so on that it's like I, for whatever reason, can't quite bear to part with them. But I keep thinking I should just throw them on eBay and be gone because they've been sitting there for over a year. I haven't done anything with them and have no plans for the future, so...
1: You should let the listeners know you're doing it and give them the option to buy it and then, like, office space it with a baseball bat just to break <laughs> your heart in real time. Like, watch the moment where your eyes just become misty as you watch your CCI lab become, become crust.
0: <laughs> Although now there's some inspiration for some good uh, good YouTube fodder right there.
1: So, Tom, I've got a, I've got a question here. It might hit a little close to home. I'm not sure. But at a tech field day when you started working there... You had this persona of the CCIE coffee guy. You know, essentially, there's a table full of bloggers that are just being pounded with information all day. And caffeine is really the fuel that keeps them going. And part of your role was, hey, if you need some coffee, you can hit me up and I'll I'll bring it to you, et cetera. And uh, I thought it was, I think you have a great sense of humor because I'm thinking, all right, a CCIE is bringing my coffee. Like, that's the ultimate barista. At the same time, I'm like, man, that feels, I don't know, I I felt kind of weird about it because at the same time, I respect you and I respect the certification and the idea of, you know, a barista, CCIE guy bringing coffee made me feel a little uncomfortable. So, you know, can you describe how this came about, how you feel about it, and, you know, kind of why do you do that sort of thing?
2: Well, uh, yeah, you're right. It's, that, it's one big joke that kind of everybody feels like they're in on at this point. Um, everyone in IT has, has run into that situation where you're the, you're the low man on the totem pole. You're the FNG when you walk into a lab or a data center. And there's all these people sitting around with cables and stuff, and you're like, I want to help, I want to do something. And the senior man looks at you and goes, Why don't you give me some coffee? And and understandably, he's trying to keep you out of the way, he's trying to relax you. But you know, everyone's always like, Man, I I could configure Rip with my eyes closed, and you're going to make me go get coffee. But at Tech Field Day, it's a little bit different because I'm not the talent there. The people around the table are the talent. I'm just the help, and so. By virtue of the fact that we actually, uh, we use wired microphone cables, so we actually don't want people getting up because it leaves popping artifacts in the audio. Um, we tell people like, no, 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 no. If you need something, let us go get it. Really, we're, we're free to do that. And yeah, at first people were just like, I don't, I don't want to make you go get coffee. I mean, you're, you're kind of doing some important stuff over there. I'm like, <laughs> not as important as what you're doing. And so now when I introduce people, I'm like, you know, if you've ever been around some of those CCIEs, you know, they're a little testy. They're always going to tell you, you know, give me some coffee or go fetch me this. Take advantage of the only time in your life that a CCIE will end up bringing you coffee. (laughs) And I mean, it goes back to knowing your place in, in any organization. I mean, if you're a colonel in charge of a military unit, I mean, yeah, you have life and death in your hands. But when you go sit at the general's table, you are the low man on the totem pole. Guess what? Your job is to fetch coffee and do whatever the general tells you to do you're not losing your identity. You just have a slightly different one when you're sitting around that table versus standing in front of a brigade full of people.
1: I like hearing that certs go back to what I originally liked them for. You know, Tom's looking at them for new tech. Ethan, you also potentially looking at them for learning new tech. And that's why I got into certs originally. It wasn't about like having a bajillion of them. Because instead, you know, a lot of folks, myself included, had to get certs because you were tied down to... You, know, you have to have these certs because our partner level depends on it or a deal registration value depends on it. And it's nice to go to more of a pure form where you're using it as a learning aid, you know, a path towards understanding something. What are you thinking, Ethan? I'm going to
0: riff on uh, a point you, you brought up, which is maybe the era of home labs is uh, not over, but kind of winding down a bit because we can do so much in the public cloud now. And if all you're trying to do is prove out a specific concept or maybe you know do a quick test of something... Do you really have to have a a, a server with a hypervisor sitting at your beck and call at home, or does it make more sense just to go up to AWS and spin up a server real quick, do what you need to do, then throw it away and get your bill at the end of the month? That bill is probably going to be cheaper than what it would cost to have that server sitting there chewing up electricity. You know, it's
1: something I'm thinking of for myself. Tom, it's been a pleasure talking about your entrance into the world of tech, how you've pivoted some of the thoughts around that. I figured the best way to kind of finish the episode today is offer some advice and tips and, you know, point the way forward to others that are going through this transition. So I can remember when, man, knowing a specific widget within a product was my world, and then it was kind of eye-opening to leave that world. So maybe we can help some other folks that are looking at the journey or progressing through it. So we'll start with an easy one. You know, if you could tell your younger self, some advice, some tips, the lessons learned, you know, what would you say to yourself now that you've made this journey that might be advantageous to your younger self?
2: You know, honestly, the first thing I probably would have told 22 year old me is um, don't hide from people. You know, it's easy to be a wallflower in tech, especially if you have an introvert personality where you just like, I want to crawl in a hole and hack things. That's great. If you want to set an artificial limit on the, the apex of your career, but if you want to get outside of that, you really have to talk to people. I mean, you don't have to be like the awkward turtle that doesn't know how to shake hands or always says the wrong thing. Just learn how to interact with folks because the, the better you get at that, the more you're going to learn and the more people will identify you as someone that they want to talk to.
0: I mean, how do you do that though? I mean, it's easy to say that we should, and because I, I agree with you, um, interacting with people and having those soft skills and uh, emotional intelligence and all of that is is key. It takes you from being the the beast in the data center that they throw raw meat in once in a while, but other than that, they just keep it logged. <laughs> He's happy doing his thing with the rack and the keyboard and whatever it is he does, and things are running and the lights are on, so that's good. But don't disturb or anger him in any way. You don't want to be that person, exactly. But at the same time, if you are not socially inclined, I mean, do you have any specific recommendations, Tom, that would help someone to come out of their shell or be uh, better adjusted around folks?
2: Yeah, we we actually in IT, we have cheat codes for that because we all have a general topic that we all subscribe to, technology. I mean, we're not sitting around trying to talk about the weather or the, the latest sports ball team's success. I mean, that that to me, even being a people person as much as I am now is still awkward. But when people start talking about tech, you know, that's something I really, really enjoy. So, you know, hey, um, I noticed that you guys were working on uh, the new, you know, X84 routers. Those are pretty awesome, aren't they? What do they have going on that the X82 didn't? You know, we we have icebreakers built into our jobs. And as you, you know, kind of bond over that learning of tech, it gives you the ability to kind of branch out. It's like, oh, hey, you know, I noticed that you you spent a lot of time typing in, uh you know, V-term instead of X-term, why are you doing that? And so you get to understand people. And then that's kind of how you build your little tribe. And the next thing you know, your
0: tribe is moving on to different projects.
2: And then you're, uh, you know, you're taking over the world. It's kind of awesome.
0: Would it be inappropriate to do something like, so I mounted your inbox and I was reading through your mail and I noticed some interesting things. You want to chat? Is that, is that the wrong approach? That
2: might be pushing it just a little over the line. Too yeah, far? <laughs> okay. Yeah. You, you you have to at least show people that you're willing to put forth that effort of of not being a, a creepy little spy. <laughs> you know, as sad as it sounds, I've actually worked with guys in the past that kind of had that mentality of, well, I'm going to learn everything I can about a person before I try to approach them so that anything they could ask me, I already have the answer that they'll know from their perspective. And it, it's the hacker mentality that we all have. It's like, I want to know the exact perfect answer to this question. There are no perfect answers to those questions. The trick is is that you learn to adapt on the fly. And the more you learn how to roll with the punches and if a conversation goes in a direction that you're not quite expecting but you're able to say, hey, that's a great question and, and go from there, that's what builds conversational skills, not always having the right answer to every
0: question. So I've been sniffing your web traffic for the last six months. Here's every website that you've visited <laughs> at your work console. Will you be my friend? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Tom, do you think that being less technical, I mean, do you see that as being part of your journey? Yeah. I mean, I
2: think in any any walk of life, whether it's a technical person, whether it's being a doctor or someone who's a, a management type person, once you get to a certain altitude, the specificity becomes less important than the overall knowledge. You know, we always... We think about flying in an airplane and everybody running around looking like ants. Well, all those little ants have lives and they have careers and they have things like that. You know, from 50,000 feet, they all they, they look tiny on purpose because you can't see the world if you're concentrating on the people. And one of the things that I always like to use as an example is, you know, in stellar mechanics, you have black holes. Well, inside of a black hole, lots of really awesome stuff could be happening, but we don't know because there's a shield on the outside of it that prevents us from seeing it. I think Stephen Hawking at one point said, the reason why an event horizon exists is because um, we're not allowed to see a naked singularity, because it's just too much awesome. At the same time, and I learned this when I was a manager in college before I ever became technical, there were days when I just wanted to jump down and, and get a job done, because by God, I was the best at that job, and I was going to tell the world that, that I could do it better than anybody else. And one of my, my mentors came back and grabbed me by the shoulders, literally grabbed me by the shoulders and pulled me away and said, you need to have somebody else doing this job right now because your job is to make sure everybody else's jobs are getting done. And and when you're when you're in a non-technical role, when you're in a management role, it's fun sometimes to roll up your sleeves and get, get dirty, but that's not what you do. That's not what you get paid to do. And you have to remember that. And sometimes it's a hard lesson to learn. But you'll end up being better for it when you use your brain instead of your arms to do the heavy lifting.
1: That's heavy, man. You've you've talked about nudity of, of black holes and and essentially like a data center Tinder app where you're getting all creepy on people. So that's some <laughs> there's some good life lessons that I'm I'm, I'm being cheeky. Uh, so <laughs> one question I do have for you, Tom, around the pivot, there's got to be some warning signs. I'm kind of quote fingers around that where it's like, oh God, this is it's time to move. You know, maybe. Maybe even too late, like, oh, I should have moved earlier. But, you know, what are things where you're like, if you feel this way or you notice these patterns or these behaviors, it's time, you know, whether or not it's comfortable or not, it's time to move on and make a change in some way, shape or form.
2: Yeah, that's that's one of the big things, because I've seen a lot of people in the industry that have missed that window. And it's really important to understand that there comes a point in your career, no matter how busy you are, no matter how good technically you are, that you're going to hit a wall And some people like, you know, they, they climb over it. They're like, I can, I can move on. I can learn new things. The, the wall is getting bored. And for some people, boredom is just, you know, it's, it's a place to say, let me reassess what I'm doing and, and move on from there. But sadly for a lot of people, boredom is all right, I don't have anything to do. Um, I know I'll do this other thing. I worked with a brilliant guy who, you know, he got a network whipped into shape. He was the, the, the primary person on it. And then he got bored and started building some crazy side projects inside of his network. And they were really awesome. But when he decided to leave that position to do something else, it was very difficult for him to make a clean break and get away. Because every time something broke in his hobby kit, the guy who replaced him was on the phone calling him going, hey, um, the XML parser doesn't work again. And so he had to stop what he was doing in a completely different line of work to go back and say, okay, well, if that's not working, then you have to reboot this engine and you have to do this. If you're bored enough that you're looking to do other things, then you really need to assess what it is you want to be doing.
0: Roy, I really identify with the boring uh, part because there is – you know, no matter what skill level you achieve, there is some – Day-to-day, you're kind of doing a lot of the same things. Even if it's different projects, they tend to end up looking like previous projects that you've done a lot of times. You can only uh, build the data center so many ways. There's variety. I I get that. But still, certain things I I ended up with on on one of my jobs because we were a smaller shop. I was working there as a CCA and had done a lot of – redesign work and redeployment work for a lot of sites. But there was still a lot of day-to-day stuff that fell to me also just because we were a small shop. So there's only so many times you can stand up a new Ethernet port for the server coming into the data center before you want to shoot yourself in the head. I don't want to do that. Really? I got to build another VLAN? Mm-hmm. Okay, sure, we can we can do that. And bustle memory, just, it just goes. And there's only so many crappy old data center – well, call them computer rooms, data centers, whatever, that you can look at and go – yeah, I know what this is going to be. I'm going to bring in this set of equipment. I'm going to uh, spec it like this, and the project's going to be installed like this, and it's going to be you know, more or less what I did the last three times, um, you know, with these tweaks and these, you know, slight adjustments, and that's going in. And that can get boring, and you and you end up depending on how your brain works. You look for new challenges. You want to try something else, even if what you're doing because it's still building and there's some amount of creativity to it. It's just you just want that new thing. You want to try something else. And so you look for a new uh, – the way I look at it is you just look for a new challenge. So, Tom, as you've moved on from, again, the super deep tech to, to broader tech, do you see advantages in having done that? Maybe even you know management or, or business that you've moved on. Do you, do you see you know, advantages in that shift where you're like, I am really glad I've done this?
2: Yeah, it absolutely is. It it opens up an entirely different world because you're not bogged down in day-to-day operations. You have the ability to poke your head out of the sand every once in a while and say, "Oh, hey, that's interesting. I'd like to learn more about that without worrying, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to get my job done or or I've got these, you know, 18 routers that need to be installed over the next 2 months." I mean, I look at guys in the industry now, and, and I'm friends with them, but you know, they, they say, oh, well, the next seven months of my life is flying around doing the same router install in 14 different states. And I mean, that's, that's not a life to me that sounds appealing, because at the end of seven months, I know that router inside and out. But if, if technology teaches you anything, seven months is an awful long time to be out of the loop when it comes to you know, what's what's coming down the pipe with SDN or or where is flash storage going or something like that. And I feel like it's, you know, you call it fear of missing out. My fear is that I'm going to get left behind.
1: So I'm curious, then you're looking at more around uh, non-technical in some cases. Obviously, you're looking at startups and whatnot as Tech Field Day, but it seems like your role now encompasses business development and marketing and event coordination and being a technical liaison, you know, somebody that can translate the super nerd into the less nerd for the marketing folks that are potentially sponsoring you know, as your customers. You know, what about that world? You know, that's not engineering at all. I mean, you obviously draw from some of your historical experiences, but you know, that's that's purely business and you know, marketing in some cases.
2: Yeah, it is, and and it sometimes you you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, um, I went from configuring BGP route maps to uh, editing in Final Cut. Boy, that was an interesting career trajectory. But the other things that you pick up along the way, you find become more and more vital. Um, one of the things that I love now is, is working with as many startups as I do. I'm having to become very familiar with funding rounds. Um, you know, So who, who picked up the Series A on this company? Are you, are you guys going for a Series C or D? Why are you not going for a Series C? Are you going to cash somebody out early? You know, If you're a technical person right now, your eyes are probably rolling in the back of your head going, oh my God, I can't understand why they're talking about all this money stuff. Well, money stuff means the company making a product is actually going to put it out the door versus waiting to take their last round of funding and saying, oops, we ran out of cash and we don't have anything to show for it. We're going to have to shutter our doors or sell off to somebody who's not going to appreciate the product as much as we do. So, you know, the engineering staff loves to kind of build this bubble around themselves saying, oh, well, I can hack away of this code for the next three days and push it out the door, but somebody still has to account for all the time that's being spent on that. somebody has to account for what you're getting paid for. And the faster you can learn to appreciate those subtle differences, the better you'll understand how products are developed, why they're positioned when they are, why this product has a marketing budget that's three times that other product when the other product is substantially cooler. And you're like, hmm. So you, you, you it's almost like you, uh, <laughs> you figure out how the way the world really works, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to learn
1: more about that. So being able to see past the tech and into, all right, what's actually going to yeah. be, you know, that's kind of a tip for understanding the companies at whole, who to invest in for your career potentially, who to choose to put in your data center, you know, way beyond just, well, it's on a white paper or a tech marketing sheet somewhere. So that must be great. Yeah. Exactly. Being
2: able to read past the, the marketing fluff to understand, okay, um, <laughs> this product cost you 4X in development, so you've got to get a return on it.
1: Okay, Tom, I think we've I think we've pestered you enough as to uh, your pivots from super deep CCIE, ninja, CLI, router, jockey, whatever words, to awesome watching investments in startups and things like that and, and gathering people coffee at Tech Field Days, which I appreciate, man. You make a darn good coffee, or at least you get a darn good coffee. <laughs> want to thank you again. Is there anywhere we can go on the interwebs to find you, social media, whatnot, uh, for those that are listening to the show? Sure thing.
2: Well, if you want to follow me, you can go to my Twitter. My Twitter handle is NetworkingNerd. You can also follow my blog at NetworkingNerd.net. If you'd like to see what I do for a living, you can always go to our website at TechFieldDay.com. We've got a great list of shows coming up. So we're going to be at some shows. We're going to be doing our own events. Always great stuff being added there. So make sure to keep current with that calendar. I think you'll find something this year that you'll like.
1: Yes, the videos there are awesome, and they get produced. like You guys make them real-time, practically. I feel like there's a presentation in the morning, and the Vimeo and the YouTube are up you know, early afternoon. So it's, it's, it's crazy how fast y'all work. We like uh, to keep our it. audience happy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. Two thumbs up, man. Uh, so that's it for today's edition of the Data DataNuts Podcast. Appreciate you listening, and if you're a social creature, you can follow me. I'm at Chris Wall on the Twitters, and my blog is wallnetwork.com. And my delightful friend Ethan, he's at ecbanks on the Twitters, and his blog is ethancbanks.com. For more of our delightful Data Knot shows on infrastructure engineering, do a nosedive down the rabbit hole that is packapushers.net. You're going to find the Data Knots talking about containers and PowerShell, pivoted to less technical roles when you're not hands on every day, full stack engineering storage. You know the drill, there's a ton of stuff there. But until then, my friends, may your server lights blink, your flash drives be plentiful, and your cables be cleanly managed. Thank you. <laughs> Would you like to revert your changes there sir? <laughs>
0: that's that's all I did and and just to hear you say the words monkey spanking was just worth it.